Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Today, Homa Porascari is here to talk about her latest novel, The American Outsider. It's a story of an activist who travels from Los Angeles to Japan to protest the slaughter of dolphins. Along the way, she learns about the Japanese culture and meets kind-hearted people who go out of their way to help her. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Born in Tehran, Iran, Homa Porskari spent hours in her father's home office writing, reading, and letting her imagination carry her to unseen worlds. She moved to Los Angeles, California at a young age, and after graduating from Loyola Marymount University with a degree in business, she went to Paris for a year to study literature at the Sorbonne. Before becoming a full-time writer, she ran her own boutique, worked at a bank and a CPA firm, was a personal trainer, and even taught spinning and cardio kickboxing. When she's not writing, she is stumbling, miming, and pointing to find her way in a foreign country. Her latest novel, The American Outsider, is based on her travels in Japan. To learn more about Homa Porascari and her works, visit her website at homaporascari.com. Well, hi, Homa. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here to chat up with you. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know you're on the show several years ago, actually before my time. And so uh, welcome back. And what have you been up to since your last novel? <laughs> um, a lot of stuff happened, kind of personal. Yeah. I took a time off because um, it was weird. I just couldn't write anymore for a long time. In between, I mean, I read and stuff, but I just it wasn't really up to writing for a really, really long time. Yeah. So I yeah. just you know, took a break. And then, yeah, so I came back and it was strange. Like a few years ago, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to write about how important dolphins are. It may sound ridiculous to some people, but the military uses them. They're a big deal and they make so much money off of training them and selling them. So Mm. I thought this is a topic I wanted to write about. So that's how I got back into the game. Oh, that's wonderful. So you're back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm back. I'm back. So I'm <laughs> going to be producing more novels. Oh, good. So what is The American Outsider about? So it's about the plight of dolphins. And, you know, sometimes when I write a book, like my last book, people from that country think like I have something against them. Like my last book was about Saudi Arabia, but it's nothing like that. Like I don't see myself as one culture or one race. I just see myself as a human being. So Mm -hmm. I write about these topics, not to pick on a country, but really to just bring it out and discuss it. So they're brutally slaughtered, not just in Japan. They're done in the Faroe Islands. They kill them the same way in Denmark, Iceland, and lots of other places. And I just think that we need to bring it out and discuss this because this is not okay uh, to treat them this way. I understand. So, like, for example, if I lived in a country where 
There was no food. I get it. Like you would have to kill something to eat it because you have to survive. I get that. Mm -hmm. But now we live in a completely different society in uh, especially Western countries or countries that have a lot of different access to things. So I believe that treating animals humanely is very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the inspiration behind your storyline was a visit to Japan. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I've always been an activist on Twitter. And so a lot of my tweets were sending me this information about the dolphins and the, the film footage and the pictures were pretty difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of followed through the, uh, throughout until a couple of years back, I was reading an article and I was like, wow, this still continues, even though the Dolphin Project, along with many, many other organizations and scientists have worked hard to stop this and it continues and they do as they wish. So I was like, kind of, well, I'm going to write about this. I want to bring this out in the open. I think it's another way of reaching the public about what is still going on. Some of this stuff has changed thanks to all these activist organizations. For example, some tour guides no longer recommend going to an aquarium. Mm -hmm. So even organizations like Expedia, I think it's Expedia is one of them who no longer, you know, puts that as an option for tourists to go see. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. So they're making a dent and... There's some changes that's been made in Australia, in England. So things are changing, but, you know, it still continues and it's very disturbing what they're doing. Yeah, I remember hearing about, you know, things going on at SeaWorld. And this was many, many, many years ago. I don't even know what year that was that I heard that first heard that story, but I know it's been going on for a while. So it's really amazing that you say, I mean, yes, we're making progress, but it's so slow. It's baby steps. It's still going. Yes. In the U.S. as well. Yes. SeaWorld, aquariums in general, anytime you pay to go see a dolphin show, you have to realize those dolphins have suffered immensely. Mm. They have been taken away from their families by force. Their families have been brutally slaughtered. They have been starved in order to do a trick. And these are really intelligent animals. And they may even be smarter than us. Mm. And it's not to say that, oh, just because they're smart, we shouldn't kill them. No, but it's horrible what they do to them. Yeah, It's just really terrible. Oh, I imagine parts of your story were heartbreaking to write. Yes, it was. That's why I added a romantic element because I just find that for me when I read a book I also want to be entertained so I don't want to read a super dark book where the ending is dark Mm -hmm. because you can get that in life you know exactly (laughs) yeah so I try to make balance it out so it, it goes by smoothly and it's informative as well as entertaining. So yeah, I like that mix. I was wondering why you chose the fictional route as opposed to nonfiction. Not everybody reads nonfiction. Some people just like to read stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just figured that's a different channel that I can reach different audience, as opposed to people who like to read nonfiction. I think it's important when you read a book, 
that you learn something. For example, like I'm reading Kindred right now by Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. and it's incredible to me. I mean, yes, I read about slavery and all that, but but it's just that going through this is really heartbreaking when as you read it. And it's not just a dark book, you know, it's also very entertaining. So Right, right. I love historical fiction for that factor right there. Yeah. 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 Me too. Now, your book is also kind of a study of the Japanese culture. What was it like in Japan as a tourist or a researcher? And what kind of research was involved preparing to write your book, The American Outsider? So I wanted to learn about the Japanese culture. I truly think like if you want to criticize something in any country, you need to first understand their culture. Mm. Even governments going to war with each other, not really truly understand the other country, their thought process and how they do things. So I really wanted to learn as much as possible about their culture. One of the things I noticed about them is that it's a very patriarchal society. Mm. When I was at different hotels, one of the things I would always get is that, really, you're here all by yourself? And (laughs) because I was a woman, you know, and I'm like, yeah. And then another thing I would get is, do you live with your mom? So because I'm not married, so they just forget. I mean, like, I'm way past the age of living with my mom. (laughs) I just found it so funny, you know. Yeah. But people are super nice in general. I love Japan. I really, really enjoyed it. People are really polite, more so than a lot of countries I had visited. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, it's temporary because they know you're not going to be there. My hairstylist is half Japanese and half Korean. And she looks Japanese. So when she goes there, they don't treat her as well because they think she's Japanese, even though her Japanese is not all that great. She grew up here. She was born here. So if she doesn't understand something, they're mean to her. Wow. So they're more tolerant with... The foreigners or tourists? Yeah, much, much, much more tolerant, yeah. So, yeah, so when I was there, I was trying to understand how people are, how they connect, what's important. There are so many rules when you go there, and you need to respect that. But sometimes it's a lot for me to remember, you know, even handing money. So you have to hold your cash with both hands before you give it to someone. Mm. And majority of places, they have a tray and you put it on a tray. So little things like that. And sometimes you forget. Yeah. Sounds like a very formal kind of environment. It's very, very formal. They're perfectionists. Everything has to be done a certain way. And they're exhausted all the time. You see people sleeping on the subway. Mm. They're sleeping because they're just so tired. They have long, long work days. Wow. So what was it like being there to research your book? Like, did did the people you encountered, did they know you were writing a book? Or did you just kind of observe? I kind of observed. No, they didn't know I was doing your research for my book. Taiji, if you go there, they have police everywhere. They are very well aware of outsiders. Mm. So, and I am not part of an organization. So... You can get into trouble unless you're part of an activist organization and you're protected. 
you can get into a lot of trouble on your own. And also, it's very hard for me to watch a slaughter like that. I know activists have done it, but it would be really hard for me to watch it. I couldn't do it. Oh, I, I agree. I don't think I could watch anything like that either. However, when you learn about the culture, you realize why they do some of the things that they do. A part of it, they say it's tradition, but the thing is, yes, it, a lot of things were, you know, people would say slavery was tradition, mm. you know, that's how it was. But then you can't continue this way in today's society, you know, you have to change. Uh, you know better, so I just don't buy that. I have a hard time, you know, swallowing that. Right. Yeah. I feel like once you know better, you can't keep doing the same thing, you know? <laughs> no, you can't. You, you, like in Italy, for example, I think in Italy it's illegal to, to get goldfish. I'm pretty sure I, I, I'm pretty accurate about that. Huh. Because, yeah, because goldfish, well, first of all, they suffer a lot when you catch a goldfish because they don't care. They kill a lot of goldfish in order to get a the bunch they have. And I'm Persian, so Persian New Year, people put goldfish in their bowls. And I keep telling them, don't do that mm. because, you know, it's not good for the goldfish to go round and round in a bowl. It's kind of like a torture for them. You know, it's just the thing is that there's so many new information coming out today and we don't realize that some of the things we do to pets, caging them and doing all this is not good for them. Yeah. You know, I'm not preaching to people. They can do whatever they want. I just bring out the information and they can do what they want with it. Right. So I want to talk about your protagonist, Tessa Walker. She sounds like someone I want to know. Uh, what mo <laughs> Tell us a little bit about her and kind of what motivates her. So Tessa is a veterinarian and she loves animals. So as when she's a teenager, she witnesses the slaughter of dolphins and it really bothers her. And, you know, a lot of these veterinarians, they have depression because a lot of they're used to seeing so much death and things that people do to animals. Mm. So and they carry that with them. And she's one of those people who decides to go to Japan because she wants to do something about it to help make a change. And she's not quite sure if what she's doing is going to change everything, but she just wants to face her fears and go there and see what she can do to help out. It's not her protest necessarily. She joins other activists mm -hmm. to help them out is what she's doing. Okay. So she ends up going there and uh, she has a lot of friends there, but she's an outsider so she's always the one who gets into more trouble than other people. <laughs> yeah. You know, she sticks out. So I kind of got that from her because I first met her on your website. She has her own page on her website. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, but she, even in the what she wrote about herself, she's like, I can't give too much away because I don't want Homa to get mad at me. <laughs> Well, I was just thinking, if, what would Tessa say? It's funny, people think writers are nuts, but characters start talking to you, and they do what they want to do sometimes, and you just write it. I know it's weird to talk about it like that, but that's just how it is. And that's when you know your story is falling into place, 
is when the characters start talking to you and they won't leave you alone. Like you could be food shopping and they'll be like, hey, you know what? Let's go back and I want to say this. <laughs> you know, I know, I know. I, I sound like I need to be put in some kind of a cycle. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, I, I get that. And, it, you know, when that happens, I feel like that's when it's really getting genuine because you're just kind of navigating the pen or the keyboard or whatever you use to write and your characters are doing all the talking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, so that's how it is. It sounds like she was a lot of fun to write at any rate. Um, yeah, she was a lot of fun to write. And the other character Toshiro was interesting to write because Japanese people are more reserved in general. I don't want to like say all of them are reserved. Mm-hmm. However, when they do get drunk, they do strange things. So, <laughs> <laughs> but in general, they keep to themselves. Mm. In fact, a lot of women are the ones who ask the guy out because the guys are too shy. But my character was used to going out with foreign women. So dating foreigners and having foreign friends. So his character is a bit different yeah. than that status quo. Oh, wow. Huh. That's interesting. I wouldn't picture women taking the lead on asking men out. They do because a lot of Japanese men are shy. Yeah. So the woman has to like, either do that or just do a lot of hinting to make sure that he knows that she wants him to ask her out. Yeah. So, so I have to ask, there, there's so many different elements in your story. And I love that. Like you say, you know, entertainment and information. What did you enjoy most about writing The American Outsider? I love the research on writing The American Outsider. In fact, I would read something and then, you know how you see another link or something? I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. And before you know it, it would be like 6 a.m. And I'm like, I didn't sleep. I've been reading until oh 6 a.m. Yeah, so I found the research super interesting. It's a fascinating culture. And you really have to be born there to really completely understand it. Mm -hmm. I would imagine the research, for me anyway, would probably be the most fun. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, the research is more fun. But you need the research in order to write. Without that, how are you going to write? I mean, in the beginning, you may write a story, but when you go back and the more research you do, you realize that you were wrong. Well, that that was the case for me. So I would have to change a lot of stuff. Mm. So, you know, um, sometimes you just write because that's how it is um, in order to get the words down. And as you're doing your research, once in a while, not all the time, because the thing is that you you do your research and then you write. But however, as you're writing, sometimes you run into things where you're like, oh, okay, so I need to change this because I was wrong, you know. Yeah, yeah. How did it feel getting back into writing after taking a break? Hard, really hard. I thought, you know what, maybe I just have two books in me and that's it. Maybe that's all I have in me because it was a big struggle for me to mm-hmm. do this book. Um, super hard. But now I'm back in the flow um, yeah. because I took such a long break in the scene and out of choice because a lot of personal things were going on. So, so how long did it take you to write The American Outsider? Probably to write it, maybe about a year and a half. Mm. But the whole thing took about three years with the research 
and going to Japan and going through draft after draft and submitting it to my editor. Honestly, after I got my first draft back, I was like, you know what? This is, I just wasted three years or two years or whatever. This is not working because she hates my protagonist. She oh. hates my <laughs> Yeah, she just shredded my entire <laughs> document. It was like all red marks. And I was like, oh, my God, this story is horrible. She hates this. So I took some time off because I was like, well, I just wasted a couple of years of my life doing nothing. Mm. And then I went back and uh, I went through all of it. All of, And she was pretty surprised when I told her that. I don't think she realized how brutal she was with my manuscript. Oh. But, yeah, yeah, she was pretty brutal. But you know what? It made it a much better story. And by the time I was done uh, giving her my manuscript again and getting it back, I knew it's going to be a good story. Yeah. What are some of the key elements that you hope readers take away from reading The American Outsider? It's such an important story right now. I think that, you know, we need to think twice about going to aquariums and any type of venue where they use dolphins as a source of entertainment. I also think that, you know, a lot of times we criticize other cultures but the thing is, we need to understand that culture and why they do what they do, mm-hmm. because our belief system is different. And I think it's really important to have an understanding of each other. And, you know, those are some issues that I think are important uh, to deal with. So hopefully readers will come out reading it and realize that just have an understanding of You know, we are not the superior race. We really aren't. We think we are. But there's just so much we don't know. As more and more information is coming out, scientists are finding out so many different things. And we really need to be aware of that. We're not better. My brother was telling me one time he watched this bird who was hungry and it came to eat this piece of bread. And the bread was hard. And he goes, he was just having his tea and just sitting there watching. And the bird took the bread, dipped it into water, the, some rainwater that was on the ground to soften it and then ate it. That's amazing. Wow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Weird, right? So there's so much we don't know. Yeah. We don't give credit to other species. Enough credit. No. Yeah. So the American Outsider is scheduled for release in January of 2023. Are you on schedule for that still? I believe so. I'm planning to release it January 23rd. Although I heard that when you release it, you can't sometimes get the exact date. So Mm -hmm. sometimes they get released a little bit sooner or a little bit later. So it won't come out exactly on the date. Um, That's what I heard. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, And I'm doing a revised version of my other two books as well. So those are going to come out. One is going to come out on Valentine's Day, and the other one is going to come out on International Women's Day. Oh, nice. Nice. The Dawn of Saudi, is that one going to come out on International Women's Day? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. That sounds so relevant today. I think so. When I wrote that, even people who knew me, they're like, no. I'm like, well, and now people know 
the truth about what's going on after the assassination of Kashkogi, and they know exactly what's happening. So mm-hmm. I think it makes even more sense. There's so much I have to say, but I don't want to get into that topic right. um, <laughs> for this podcast. Yeah, it's a whole different topic. There, yeah, so. absolutely. Maybe we'll talk again. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once the revised version comes, so. Right, right. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to share with our listeners today? Just like I said, it's really important sometimes when you're reading something and you're like, um, well, no, I don't think that's the case. Really keep an open mind because there's so many things hidden from us. And even when somebody has a completely different opinion, I always listen. Mm. And I'll go look it up. Because I'm like, well, what if I'm wrong? You know, let's find what where the truth lies, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of information is hidden from us. So long ago, um, when you were on these web browsers, you were able to find a lot of good stuff. But nowadays, they bury it. And you really have to dig in to find it. Oh, yeah, it's all filtered. Yeah. It, yeah, all of it. And you can't find the truth. It's really hard to find the truth. And I think that it's good to keep an open mind at the end of the day. If someone says, no, that's not how it is, I want to know if that person is correct or what. Right. So, well, I'm an activist, and that's just how it is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, another thing I want to say is it's really hard to be an activist. Um, if it weren't for, I, and I'm not, they're major activists in the world. And if it wasn't because of them, our society wouldn't be the way it is today. We would have lived in a much worse of a time. Mm-hmm. And they risk their lives and they do so much. They go out of their way to protect society. So I think that's really important for people to know because I know not everybody likes activists. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's good advice. And I think a lot of times activism is misunderstood. At least I feel like the main reason for that is to to stand up for something that's right or to stand up for something even or for to stand up for something that's wrong and and protest it. I agree. And we're lucky that we live in the United States and we're allowed to do that. Even here, they don't always uh they jail activists, but I think this is as good as we're going to get in comparison to a lot of other countries. Oh yeah. Well, Homa, thank you so much for joining me today and and sharing a little bit about yourself and your work. And congratulations on the upcoming release of The American Outsider. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Homa Poroskari, author of The American Outsider. To learn more about Homa and her work, visit our website at homaporoscari.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews on InsideScoopLive.com.